Welcome to The Good Life. I'm your host, Sean Murray. In today's episode, we're going to explore the writings of Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon. He recently announced that he is stepping down from the role of CEO, but will remain chairman. And he just published his 2020 letter to shareholders, which is the last letter he will write as CEO, I presume. Also, in the past year, a book of his writings has been published by the Harvard Business Review Press. It's titled Invent and Wander, and it includes an introduction by Walter Isaacson, the author of the Steve Jobs biography, an excellent biography, by the way. This book is just a tremendous resource that includes all of his annual letters going back to the very first one in 1997, as well as transcripts of speeches he's given throughout the years. So join me as we go through Jeff Bezos' latest letter to Amazon shareholders and pull out the lessons we can learn to help us succeed in business and in life. You're listening to The Good Life on the Real Time Podcast Network, where we explore the ideas, principles, and habits that help you live a meaningful, flourishing life. Join your host, Sean Murray, on a journey for the life well lived. Okay, so I'm going to go through Jeff Bezos' latest letter to shareholders. It's the letter for the 2020 year, and I'm going to put a link to the PDF in the show notes. I highly encourage listeners to go read the letter. It's it's fantastic. I read Jeff Bezos' letter every year. I've learned so much about business and life lessons by reading these letters, and this latest one was especially interesting to me. So I'm going to go through it. And I'm going to pull out some of the, the key lessons and highlights, and we're just going to kind of reflect on that. So I'm going to start with, or I should say, Jeff Bezos starts with sort of a reflection back to 1997, his very first year when the company went public, and he wrote his first letter to public shareholders. In that letter, in the 1997 letter, he had mentioned that in the previous year, the company had grown from 158 employees to 614 that they had recently surpassed 1.5 million customer accounts, and they'd just done a public offering at a split-adjusted stock price. It was $1.50 per share. So that was the first letter, 1997. So where are we today? And these numbers are just outstanding, almost mind-boggling. But Amazon today, in the last year, they hired 500,000 employees. That adds to their employee base. So Amazon now directly employs 1.3 million people around the world. There's more than 200 million Prime members worldwide, not just customers, but Prime members, the ones that pay the Prime membership. And he goes on to talk about the number of AWS customers and so on, how many Alexa devices there are. And it's quite amazing. And the stock price is hovering right around $3,300 per share today. So just a reflection on where he's been. I think he he deserves a little victory lap, you know, looking back at where he's come from, how this company has grown. He does mention that at least some portion of the wealth that has been created is his wealth, but the larger portion is wealth that was created for others. And those would be the other shareholders. And he mentions the split is about one-eighth. One-eighth of the shares of the company are owned by Jeff Bezos. And I don't know if that includes his ex-wife or not, I know they recently had a divorce, but he might be including that in the one-eighth. But irregardless, 
one eighth to Bezos and family and seven eighths to the other shareholders. And he mentions that he received a letter. He receives letters like this quite often, but he received a letter from a shareholder and it was a couple. They had a 12 year old child way back in 1997 and they decided to buy two shares of stock for their for their son. And they held on to those shares. And they mentioned in the letter to, to Jeff Bezos that the stock subsequently went on to split two for one, then three for one, then two for one again. So those two shares turned into 24 shares. And periodically over time, this son of theirs, as he grew older, wanted to cash out. He'd say, let's sell the shares and I'll, I want to buy this or that. And what the parents would do is they they would say, oh, we we bought them back for you. So I, I presume they would they would give him whatever whatever he was asking for, probably as a birthday gift or something like that, and then say, oh, we bought the shares back. And it became kind of a running joke. But the the net result is they held on to the shares. And this son of theirs is now going to buy his first house, and he is going to cash out uh, some or all of those shares. I'm not sure, but you know, Bezos, what he's doing by referring to this letter is making a very real case for the value that's been created for many shareholders out there. And it's true, but it's not just shareholder value that Amazon's created. And I think this is a really important point. And he actually makes a very great case for capitalism and for a free market system. And what he says is, if you want to be successful in business, in life actually, you have to create more than you consume. Your goal should be to create value for everyone you interact with. Any business that doesn't create value for those it touches, even if it appears successful on the surface, isn't long for this world, it's on the way out. So that's a quote from the 2020 letter. I believe it's a very powerful message. It's something that we can take to our own businesses, to our own life, always be creating value in every interaction, in every customer that comes through your door, every interaction with employees, every interaction with family members, in everything we do, always try to create more value than you consume and you will be successful. And then he goes on to kind of break down the different types of value that have been created. We mentioned the shareholder value, but he sort of asked the rhetorical question, you know, where else have we added value? At Amazon. And he mentions, you know, for the owners, not just the stock price going up, but that if you were to look at, you know, how much value just in the last year did Amazon create for shareholders, that this is a, he calls a relatively easy question to answer because there are accounting systems that are meant to deal with this and to answer this question. And so he just looked at the bottom line, the net income for 2020, it was 21.3 billion. So if Amazon was owned by one person, a sole proprietor, if you or I owned all the shares of Amazon, the value created last year for us would be $21.3 billion, the net income, the profit. So what about employees? Here, it's also, he says, relatively or reasonably easy to assess the value creation. And one way to do that is just to look at the total pay package for employees. So Amazon paid $80 billion out to employees plus another $11 billion include benefits and various payroll taxes. So that's one way to calculate the value that was derived from employees. Then he said, let's look at third-party sellers. Amazon has a number of third-party sellers, companies that are independent of Amazon, but they sell their products on the Amazon marketplace. And there's various ways to 
estimate that. And there's actually a team in Amazon that does that, that estimates third-party seller profits. And the estimate that Amazon came up with was somewhere between $25 billion and $39 billion. And Amazon can't be sure of what the profit margins are for various third-party sellers, but conservatively, they are estimating that on the low end, it would be at least $25 billion. So he says, let's take the $25 billion number. And then he says, let's look at customers. What kind of value did we create for customers at Amazon? Well, to do that, he looks at two different kinds of customers, the consumer business customer. So when you go to Amazon, you buy a product, you're a consumer. That's the typical kind of consumer Amazon purchase. And then there's the AWS customers. These tend to be startups. They tend to be corporations, organizations, governments that need large-scale customer computer deployments, and they use the Amazon Web Services platform to do that. So just looking at consumers, Bezos makes a really good point, which is how quick and easy it is to purchase something at Amazon. Because obviously one type of value that is created for customers is just that Amazon offers a very competitive price and there's a lot of selection and it can be delivered to you quickly. But he he doesn't think that's the most important value that's created. And I, I agree with Bezos on this point that another aspect that's sometimes overlooked of the value that Amazon creates is the time that is saved when we purchase on Amazon. And he does a little math here, which I find quite interesting. He says, okay, most transactions on Amazon take less than 15 minutes and about 28% are even less than three minutes. So we can get very good and efficient at buying on Amazon, as we all know, maybe even too good or too efficient. But you know, we'll just take the 15 minutes for a second. Compare that to if we weren't buying on Amazon, we had to go to a physical store. What would that look like? Well, we have to get in the car. We got to drive there. We've got to find a parking spot. Then we got to walk into the store and go through the aisles and look for the different products, put them into the shopping cart. Then we got to go check out. It takes a while to check out and you've got to find your car, get all that, drive home. All this takes time. And research suggests the typical physical store trip takes about an hour. So if you assume that a typical Amazon purchase takes 15 minutes and that it saves you a couple of trips to a physical store a week, that's more than 75 hours a year saved. And that's the number they come up with. And that's, that's pretty amazing. 75 hours, if you think about, you know, round it up to 80, 80 hours, eight hour workday, that's 10 workdays that you would save a year from going to the store and doing activities I would call non-value added. And that's huge. And if you just put a $10 per hour cost or time savings to to your time. And you consider that 75 hours multiplied by $10 an hour, and then subtracting the cost that Prime gives you for the value creation of each Prime membership is about $630. Okay. So there's 200 million Prime members. So that would be a total of $126 billion of value, value creation based on saving people time. Okay, so now this is starting to add up and we're going to do a a full accounting in just a moment. And then he goes on to AWS. And when you use AWS, there's a 30% savings compared to owning your own servers and managing your own servers. So he calls that a direct cost improvement from moving to the cloud. And that's 30% right off the top. So if you take the 30% savings, that implies about a $19 billion of savings for AWS customers. But he says that's not the most important saving here at AWS. Bezos believes the most important value that they're providing is the speed, the increased speed of software development. And that's a little bit more difficult to estimate, but 
through various estimates, they came up with $19 billion. Um, he says it's at least as much as the direct savings. So the $19 billion in direct savings for going to the cloud and then the increased speed of software development, it's also $19 billion. You add that together, it's $38 billion. So just to kind of summarize it, we created $21 billion for shareholders and net income at Amazon, $91 billion paid out to employees, including benefits, $25 billion of value in profit to third-party sellers, $164 billion in time savings to customers. That's a total of $301 billion. And here's the big takeaway for Bezos. He says, we create value for them. And by them, he means the sellers, the customers, the employees. And he says, this value creation is not a zero-sum game. It is not just moving money from one pocket to another. Draw the big box around all of society. You'll find that invention is the root of all real value creation. And value created is best thought of as a metric for innovation. So what Bezos is saying here is that this value is derived through invention by being creative, by being innovative, and that this metric is a great way to measure the innovation. And he's committed to continuing that innovation and that creativity. And it's not just value created for shareholders. It's value created throughout society. Now, Bezos continues and he gets a little introspective and he reflects on the value created for employees. And he kind of zeroes in on that. He says, look, I get the fact that we're creating value for shareholders. It's fairly easy to measure that, but I want to focus on the value created for employees. And he says, this relationship's a little bit different because you know, Amazon has processes they ask or demand their employees to follow, standards to meet. They require people to be at certain places at certain times. They require training, certification. People have to show up. Our interactions with employees are many and they're fine-grained, he says. So it's not just enough to pay the benefits. It's a number of other details and aspects. So he goes into that a little deeper. And recently, Amazon had a number of employees vote in Bessemer, Alabama about a union. And the employees at, at that particular facility did not vote to be unionized. However, he did not take solace in that. He says, does your chair take comfort in the outcome of the recent union vote in Bessemer? No, he doesn't. I think we need to do a better job for our employees is what he says. So he then sets a, a vision. He says, look, it's clear to me that we need a better vision for how we create value for employees, a vision for their success. And the next part of the letter really talks about what that might look like. And he does a little bit of defending the, the current status quo, you know, saying that 94% of people say they would recommend Amazon to a friend as a place to work. Hey, 94%, that's, that doesn't sound too bad. It sounds relatively high by my standards. Uh, he says that Amazon does allow employees to take breaks, talking about hourly employees now, you know, get water, go to the restroom. He's trying to counter a certain narrative in the press that Amazon is kind of draconian in a lot of these measures. And he says, no, we do do that. He says something really interesting. He says, we don't set unreasonable performance goals. We set achievable performance goals. So I thought that was a great way to put it. You know, Amazon's not afraid to ask of their employees to really show up and to really deliver their best and to perform at a high level and to hold people accountable. And some people can't do that. And he says they terminate 2.6% of employees per year due to their inability to perform their job. 
that's an interesting number. You don't hear that reported that much by companies. So 2.6%. I don't know how that compares to other companies, but it's interesting that he put it in there. 2.6% each year are terminated because they're not doing their job. And of course, he's, he says they give people time to to deliver these performance goals. Anyone can have a, a challenging week or in the short term. But over a longer period of time, if you can't perform, you're out at Amazon. So what is this vision going to be? And he calls the vision Earth's best employer and the Earth's safest place to work. And when he thinks about the Amazon's employee workforce, there's a lot of hourly workers at Amazon. He sort of takes a dig at other high-tech companies when he says, look, Amazon is a company that does more than just create jobs for computer scientists and people with advanced degrees. We create jobs for people who never got that advantage. So I think what he's doing there is a little shot across the bow at companies like Google and Apple and Facebook and other technology companies that don't employ people on an hourly basis. The case he's building is that Amazon's really creating value up and down society and not just for people who had the advantages to get an advanced degree. What does this mean to have a vision to be the the Earth's best employer and the Earth's safest place to work. Well, what's sort of interesting about that is Amazon already has a mission, and its mission is to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. That's something, if you go back and read Bezos's letters going back to the beginning, he talks about that mission. Amazon wants to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And he goes into various detail of what that means, but basically you want to understand what your customer expectations are and continually meet those expectations and solve problems for the customer. I would say Amazon's done a very good job of doing that. So here he's adding something to the mission. He's saying we don't want to just be the Earth's most customer-centric company. We also we want to also be Earth's best employer and the Earth's safest place to work. So what does that mean? Well, he goes into various detail on safety. And I'm not going to get into the details, but he talks about something called muscular skeletal disorders or MSDs, you know, people doing repetitive work and the various uh, initiatives and things that they're doing to help people in that area and also in safety. But what he's committing himself to is spending his own time focusing on these initiatives. He says, I'm an inventor. It's what I enjoy the most and what I do best. It's where I create the most value. I'm excited to work alongside the large team of passionate people we have in ops and help them invent in this arena of Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. So he's going to roll up his sleeves and try to get innovative and spur innovation in this area. So I think it's going to be really interesting to take a step back and look at what Amazon comes up with. Now, I mentioned they already have 94% of their employee base say they would recommend Amazon to a friend as a place to work. And what Bezos is saying is that's not good enough. He explicitly says in the letter, he's going to aim for 100%. 100% of employees saying that they would recommend Amazon to a friend as a place to work. That's a pretty high bar. So he set the 100% goal for that. And he says that Amazon will also continue to lead on wages and on benefits and upskilling opportunities. And if you have any doubts about this, and this is kind of throwing it out there for shareholders who might be saying, look, you know, don't take your eye off the ball here, Bezos. We've, we've got a good thing going. Our Earth's most customer-centric company mission has been working for us. Don't dilute the message. And he says, don't worry if you think this is going to be dilutive. 
He says, if any shareholders are concerned that Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work might dilute our focus on Earth's most customer-centric company, let me set your mind at ease. And he goes on to say, basically, that if Amazon can operate two businesses that are as different from one another as their consumer business and the AWS business and do this both at the highest level, then they can certainly aim for these two visions and go after both of those at the highest level and that the two should reinforce each other. If Amazon is able to achieve its mission of being the best employer and the safest place to work, it should also help it become the most customer-centric company. Then he goes on to the next big section of the letter. It's about climate. And I'm not going to spend as much time on climate. It's a great section. There's something called the Climate Pledge that he talks about, something that Amazon kind of co-created with another organization called Global Optimism. And they were the first signers, I believe. Amazon was the first signers of the Climate Pledge. And then they went out and helped recruit a number of other companies. So there's now 53 companies that have signed this Climate Pledge. There's actually an arena here in Seattle that's called the Climate Pledge Arena to bring more awareness to this Climate Pledge. And so instead of calling it the Amazon Arena, they call it the Climate Pledge Arena, which I think is quite interesting. So what is the Climate Pledge? Well, basically, it's committing companies to achieve net zero carbon in their worldwide businesses by 2040, and that's 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. And it requires companies to measure and report greenhouse gas emissions on a regular basis. And he goes on to talk about some of the companies and what they're doing. So one area that Amazon is focusing on is renewable energy for its servers, farms, and things like that. And it goes on to detail various uh, metrics and progress that's been made there. And then the other big area is transportation. And here, electric vehicles are going to be a big part of that. And so placing huge orders with electric car manufacturers or van manufacturers is big so they can bring scale to that marketplace and uh, hopefully make progress. And then he also is going to invest $10 billion of his own fortune into catalyzing the systemic change that will be needed in the coming decades to make progress on climate. So that's the climate section. And then he gets to the final section of the letter, which is actually my favorite section, which he titles, Differentiation is Survival and the Universe Wants You to Be Typical. And it seems like each year when Bezos is writing this letter, he always has some sort of nugget, some pearl of wisdom that applies to business and to life. And that's what you're getting this year in this section. The differentiation is survival and the universe wants you to be typical. And he starts this section by quoting a passage from Richard Dawkins and his extraordinary book, The Blind Watchmaker. And I'm just going to read the passage. It's a little bit long. It's just, it's beautifully written. It describes a process from nature that we're probably all familiar with but he's going to use it as a metaphor, and it's a very powerful metaphor. And here's the passage. It says, quote, Staving off death is a thing you have to work at. Left to itself, and that is what it is when it dies, the body tends to revert to a state of equilibrium with its environment. If you measure some quantity, such as the temperature, the acidity, the water content, or the electrical potential in a living body, you will typically find that it is markedly different from the corresponding measure in the surroundings. Our bodies, for instance, are usually hotter than our surroundings, and in cold climates, they have to work hard to maintain the differential. When we die, the work stops. 
the temperature differential starts to disappear and we end up the same temperature as our surroundings. Not all animals work so hard to avoid coming into equilibrium with their surrounding temperature, but all animals do some comparable work. For instance, in a dry country, animals and plants work to maintain the fluid content of their cells, work against a natural tendency for water to flow from them into the dry outside world. If they fail, they die. More generally, if living things didn't work actively to prevent it, they would eventually merge into their surroundings and cease to exist as autonomous beings. That is what happens when they die. So it's a beautiful passage. It's talking about this idea in nature, our natural surroundings are constantly working at us or working at any living thing to bring that that living being into equilibrium with the environment. That living being wants to stay alive. It's got to work hard. It's got to somehow protect its water content. It has to protect its heat. It has to have a certain amount of energy internally to survive. And all these things take effort. Otherwise, you dissipate and the living thing, when it dies, it becomes in equilibrium with its environment. So the metaphor here is Bezos takes this idea and he applies it to Amazon, but he also asks us, the reader, to apply it to our own lives. And he says, while this passage is not intended as a metaphor, it's nevertheless a fantastic one and very relevant to Amazon. I would argue that it's relevant to all companies and all institutions and to each of our individual lives too. So what is the metaphor all about? Well, the world will pull at you in an attempt to make you normal right? The world will work to try to bring you into equilibrium with the environment. So what do you have to do? We have to work to maintain our distinctiveness. And Bezos draws a couple comparisons here. I mean, one is to democracy itself. He says, look, this phenomena happens at all levels. Democracies are not normal. The normal, historical, typical form of government is tyranny. So if we want to survive as a democracy, we have to work at it. And I think what he's getting at here, he doesn't mention it specifically, but Bezos is also the owner of the Washington Post. And he talks in other writings, specifically in the book I mentioned in the introduction, Invent and Wander, he talks about the importance of a free press and the importance of newspapers. And one reason why he went in and invested in the Washington Post and purchased the Washington Post was he felt it was important for that institution to survive. It performed an important role in our democracy and that these things take work. All of us individually have certain responsibilities to our civic life and to our national government and so forth and how we behave and how we live up to our values and so forth. So democracy takes effort for Amazon to be special, for Amazon to continue to invent and innovate and create value for customers and for employees is going to take effort. Otherwise, it's going to be absorbed and become a normal company. And he doesn't want that to happen. He's saying, look, you've got to work at it. And then to take it even further, ourselves, our own lives, what makes us distinctive, what makes us unique. If we want to maintain that uniqueness, if we want to build on the special talents and gifts that we have, it's going to take work because society and culture is going to want us to conform. That's going to be the natural order that we'll have to fight against. So I'm going to quote the last few sentences of the letter, this section of the letter, which I think are really powerful. And then we'll just kind of reflect on that. He said, This is a quote, we all know that distinctiveness, originality is valuable. We are taught to be yourself. What I'm really asking you to do is to embrace and be realistic about how much energy it takes to maintain that distinctiveness. The world wants you to be typical, 
in a thousand ways it pulls at you, don't let it happen. You have to pay a price for your distinctiveness and it's worth it. The fairy tale version of, quote, be yourself is that all the pain stops as soon as you allow your distinctiveness to shine. That version is misleading. Being yourself is worth it, but don't expect it to be easy or free. You'll have to put energy into it continuously. The world will always try to make Amazon more typical to bring us into equilibrium with our environment. It will take continuous effort, but we can and must be better than that. That's really such a powerful message, isn't it? I mean, to be unique, to maintain that distinctiveness takes effort. So what he's saying is there's a certain law of nature out there. We're all subject to it and it's very powerful and it's constantly working at us and it's constantly working to bring us into equilibrium with our environment, with what's around us. And if we want to protect what makes us unique and special, it's going to take effort. And that's really the second big message is there's a price. And he says it's a very high price to maintain that distinctiveness. So what does that mean? You know, Commit yourself to a project or a goal that you find purposeful and meaningful, that you are uniquely qualified to go after. Pursue a talent or a hobby. You know, invest in yourself. Develop a unique skill. When you find yourself going with the herd, question it. Is this an area where I'm going to lose something unique and distinctive about myself if I just go with the easy route and what everyone else is doing? It takes work. You got to go after it. And then the third part of the message is it's worth it. You know, the price is high, but it's worth it. You know, when you look back at your life, what will matter most is, did you live the best possible life that's uniquely suited to your talents? Did you live the life that only you can bring into this world. It's a very Aristotelian message, and it's one of the most important aspects to reflect on if you want to live the good life. It reminds me of one of Howard Mark's favorite quotes, and he talks about it a lot in his, in his letters, and he, he got the quote from Christopher Morley, who's a British author, and the quote is this, there is only one success to be able to live your life your way. And I think that's the message that Bezos ends his letter on. And it's one that we can all take to heart, that we can reflect on. It can add a lot of value if we pursue it. The price will be high, but it will be worth it. So that is the 2020 letter to shareholders. If you want to explore more writings by Jeff Bezos, I highly encourage you not just to read the 2020 letter, but read all the past letters. They are free at the Amazon website, or you can just purchase the book Invent and Wander, which has the introduction by Walter Isaacson, which also has all the letters and a number of the speeches, which go into deeper detail on a number of these the topics that we touched on in the 2020 letter. So that's all for this week. I want to thank you for being a part of the good life and for listening. I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast. If you liked the show, please subscribe, provide a review in Apple or Spotify, and visit our website at seanpmurray.net. Until next time, have a wonderful week.